0: or visit them for more information at CabotRisk.com. I'm really excited to introduce our guest today. Amanda Abella is the founder and CEO of Make Money Your Honey, a marketing and sales training company that helps women coaches, consultants, and creatives triple their revenue while working half the time in 90 days by teaching a framework that covers systems, influence, and sales. And I know, based on my own personal experience, the one area that coaches hate the most is marketing. And they just think that as soon as they put up their sign, the world is going to come knocking at their door. And of course, that is rarely what happens. So I hope we'll hear some great insights from Amanda. Her clients go from hating sales and marketing to achieving 90% close rates and closing multiple five-figure deals. And her work has been featured in magazines such as Forbes, Huffington Post, Business Insider, and Univision. Prior to teaching marketing and sales, Amanda spent a decade as a financial writer and wrote content for companies like Wells Fargo, Discover, Credit Karma, and Santander. And she's also partnered with companies like Capital One and TransUnion in financial education campaigns. And on top of all of that, she's also an Amazon best-selling author of Make Money Your Honey, a podcast host, an award-winning content creator, a keynote speaker, and has created a community of over 60,000 people across social media platforms. Welcome, Amanda.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here to talk about bravery at work.
0: Well, I think you have a lot to offer on that front based on all the work that you have done and the ways that you interact with the public. And I did a introduction of you and I think our listeners would love to hear anything else that you can share about us, uh, about you and, and what you're doing and how you're connecting in the marketplace.
1: Yeah. So basically what we do in a nutshell, um, you bas- you did a pretty good job of my financial background and things like that. But um, what I do now, mostly what my team and I do is we teach women business owners how to sell. And the reason why we do that is because when I was learning how to sell, I couldn't find any women to teach me how to sell. I had to go learn from men. And as much as I love my male mentors, I do. I love them. I've learned so much from them. There are different elements. There are different layers. There's a different way that we can uh, teach women and teach them what their strengths are. You mentioned that most coaches hate marketing. I would say they love marketing, they spend way too much time there. What they hate is sales.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. You know, I think it's an interesting area to pause for just a moment. And uh, as a very basic, uh, fundamental question, when you look at the differences for women and men in the marketplace when it comes to marketing and sales, you know, What are those differences? Why is it different for women than it is for men?
1: Well, I know we only got 20 minutes, so let me see how I can do
0: this. (laughs) (laughs) Break it down Uh, into three easy points.
1: So from the financial perspective, let me bring my financial background into this. We've been told a completely different conversation about money um, than, than the men got, right? You know, it's man's world, men deal with it. I mean, in the United States, it's really very recently that women were able to even get a mortgage or a credit card so there's there's a very layered history there uh, and there's a lot of conditioning there that we got to work through because we we still kind of operate under the assumption that that's not our arena the other thing is um women are afraid of being called a b-word right? The other thing is women are afraid to be themselves. You know, one of the things I get all the time, oh, Amanda, we love that we you curse on your podcast. It gives us permission to be ourselves. And I'm like, what is going on out here? Because most women have been taught to be the nice girl. And, and so if there's a lot of conditioning. Let's start there, right? The second area, and I see this from my male mentors, is for example, they, they will teach something. This is very basic in sales they will teach you know you have to be sold on yourself in order to be able to sell anything the the hardest thing is to sell yourself on yourself every day now that is a much deeper healing process than just being like okay i'm sold on myself today right or oh just make a list of 100 things that make you awesome that's still very surface level so one of the things that my company is working on now was how do we take the elements that men understand very well? They understand this is a numbers game. Uh, They understand that this is about service. I actually have a great acronym I can share with you because I believe this is what sales actually is. Service, attitude, leadership, empathy, and then that leads to success. This is what the men are teaching, but for some reason, it's not translating over to women. It's getting lost in translation. Something's going on, and part of what I I feel right is um, men tend to bulldoze over the emotional part of things. They tend to bulldoze over the empathy. They tend to bulldoze over the relational skills. They're very good at the whereas women are so good at the relational skills. They want to help everybody. They want to be of service, but the mechanics are missing.
0: When you talk about the Social construct of how women were raised and trained as it related to financial management, and I think it might even be the 1940s or 50s before a woman could even get a credit card on her own. It might have even been oh, it the was 60s. like the 70- 60s,
1: 70s, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right.
0: So it's not that long yeah, ago. Yeah, not that long but, ago,
1: and that's so, in the West. Right. There are so, some places where it's still not possible.
0: Hard to believe, right, when you hear that. So when you think about that social construct, you think about being afraid to be called the B word because that's not a perception that people might want to have of me as a female. Uh, What types of bravery, you know, as you kind of integrate bravery in the workplace to combat these fairly deep driven kind of social constructs, you know, what comes to mind? You know, what can women do a little bit differently than they're doing today to be braver in order to make steps forward that can help them?
1: I think they can admit that they want to make a lot of money. Let's start there. And that goes so, for men and that's, too.
0: And that's okay to do, right? That's not And something... that's a
1: completely okay thing to do.
0: And that probably is also another part of that social construct that it was okay for men to beat their chest and say, I want to be a billionaire. But for a female, it wasn't or it wasn't something that was considered acceptable or something you might even say.
1: Yeah. And even now you'll get questioned about it. How are you going to be a billionaire and raise a family at the same time? A man never gets asked that.
0: No, they don't they don't ever right
1: <laughs> you know oh but what about your children what about them right so you i know. think we can start there uh and i think there's a women you know i think and this is everybody this is not just women i have worked with both men and women though and i will say maybe we struggle with it a little bit more the fear of being criticized because again we were taught to be nice we were taught to like we were taught to appease everybody else is what women have been taught to do we will put our own needs behind everybody else's. And we will play ourselves down to make everybody else feel comfortable.
0: You know, There's been a lot of work done on personality preferences, not to digress for a moment, but uh, when you relate to the fact that it's more likely that a woman might care more about how people think of them, which I'm not saying is good or bad, but uh, in the personality preference world, there are four levels of personality preferences. And one of them is thinking and feeling, and thinking and feeling is the only personality preference that is highly weighted by gender, and more feelers are female than male. And the other preferences are about 50-50, but it's like 75-25, so 75% of females are feelers, 25% are male, and that's why a male feeler might get criticized in the workplace because they're showing too much heart or caring too much about people, and they should be thinking about the bottom line. And then 75% of, Thinkers are men, which people feel might be appropriate, and 25% of feelers are women. And female thinkers are people who get called the B-word because they're so mm-hmm. abrupt or uh, uh, uncaring. To use it just a generalized term, that they get bucketed that way. And you know, this is one of the social constructs that we have that uh, I think you're describing.
1: That's exactly it. You nailed it because if a guy wants to be more empathetic, he's he's going I think the term now that they use is a simp. I think that's what they say on the end. I don't even know what that means, but I think that's the term.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and you're right. And the thing is, it, it's so stupid to put people into these categories of any gender, because the truth is that there's masculine qualities and there's feminine qualities, and we can learn how to do both. So my mission in my company is how can we... We're going to work with women because they're the ones who need the most resources right now. Men have their resources for sales trainers. They're everywhere. Where are the resources for the women who need to learn? How do we set sales targets? How do we have this conversation? How do we handle objections? How do we even become okay with the fact that we need to become more assertive? How do we become okay with the fact that we want to make lots of effing money? And the thing is, right... (sighs) I I am on a mission and I'm fascinated by the topic. How do we combine both the masculine and the feminine qualities? Because the men are very, you said it, the men typically are very good at the thinking. They're very good at the structure. You can't run a business without thinking and structure and numbers and logic and thinking about the bottom line. At the same time, you can't truly serve in your business and, and even get to a bottom line if you're not being empathetic toward the people that it is that you're trying to help. If you're not relational, uh, if you're not intuitive, that's all the realm of the feminine. So for me, it's like, how do we combine the two? Because when I've learned how to combine the two in my business, that's when my business explodes.
0: Well, I'm a big believer in and I'll say that I'm passionate about creating empathy in the workplace to a greater degree than it exists today, because I do believe empathy is a strategic activity to help build relationships and to help build engagement when you can put yourself in another person's shoes and operate from their perspective versus you expecting them always to come to where you are, wherever that might be. So I think demonstrating empathy takes bravery in the workplace because it might not be anticipated or expected. And there you are showing it and people may not know what to do or you know how to move forward in respect to that interaction that you're having with them. And so it's so important to demonstrate it on a regular basis so you can role model it and show people the benefits of being more empathetic.
1: Yeah. And empathy is not the same as sympathy and women will go to sympathy real quick. And I just had this conversation a couple of days ago, because I'm working on a training for teams and a colleague of mine, I was asking her for some market research. And she's like, can we talk about how women hire people that they want to save? And I'm like, yeah, see, that needs to stop. <laughs> we, you can't run a business like that. And that's the part the men understand, right? The men are more like, you didn't hit your target, you fired yourself it is what it is. And there's no emotion behind it. There's no nothing. So, but at this, but they can be kind of cold. So it's kind of like, how, how do we combine these two things? Empathy, not sympathy, because they're not the same thing. And at the same time, being a good leader that progresses a company forward and is profitable.
0: Right. And I, I'm also not suggesting that empathy is manipulative. So I'm not suggesting the leader demonstrate empathy in order to, you know, quote unquote, get somebody on their side or it's, It's smart to be empathetic because people are complex. They have complex lives. Uh, They live outside of the workplace and have families and financial pressures and all sorts of things. And they bring it with them to the workplace. And sometimes somebody's not in a good place. And if you ignore it or say, hey, where's that report? And they're having a bad day, it could be problematic, right? But to pause and say, hey, you don't seem to be yourself today. Can I ask what's going on? Or can I be of any assistance is more likely to help resolve what's happening than just blunting through it and navigating to the next level. So I'm wondering Amanda, you know, as you think about and you know, I'm pausing just for a second because I think you and I could probably talk for hours versus just 20 minutes, but you know, when you think about bravery as it relates to the many topics that you work on and I met my senses in the brief time that we've talked that you are highly knowledgeable and highly confident in what it is that you do, you know, where does bravery play a role is bravery key for a woman to be successful in the marketplace and make a billion dollars? Is it secondary? I mean, where does it play a role and how should women think about bravery uh, as part of their leadership style?
1: I'm gonna uh, quote actually one of my male mentors here because I think he put it perfectly. Uh, Grant Cardone, it takes courage to make money because you gotta take risks every day and you have to be responsible every day And you have to do things that scare you every day. And you have to go through an ego death of sorts every single day. So yeah, bravery every single day. Sometimes you make decisions that make no sense. I'm in a transition in my business right now that in the short term doesn't look good. And it makes my ego want to freak out, but it's a long-term play. And I have to be brave in that in-between space to make that kind of a pivot and make that kind of a shift. And I've had to do that a thousand times. In business it's also brave to market yourself and put yourself out there it's brave to say hey no this is the cost of my services it's brave to you know and and, you know when i teach sales i go much deeper into what is going on in the marketplace and i bring my my financial background into it and i'm like listen everybody's bringing all their money trauma to this conversation okay you have money trauma they have money trauma so let's talk about it um because if they get emotional in a sales call that's not a bad thing it's not a bad thing let them get emotional if they have objections and considerations fine they're human they should have objections and considerations but you as the business owner need to understand what those objections and those considerations are and you can't let your own ego get in the way of being able to help them because that's what's happening for most people there's a lot of ego and fear and not a whole lot of bravery
0: well, I wanna go back to that just for a moment uh, because you touched on a couple of things that I think are very relevant. One is the existence of fear. And a lot of people think uh, if I'm fearful, there's something wrong. And you know, great, great people would tell you that they're fearful all the time. It's not necessarily avoiding fear. It's navigating through fear, right? And keep moving forward and not letting fear stop you.
1: It's not letting fear dictate your decisions. And a lot of people let the fear dictate their decisions
0: and and these areas of bravery that you mentioned somewhat quickly but i think as an independent business consultant myself and as somebody who just started this you know 14 years ago you know there was a time where it was hard to say my price right because i was always afraid i was going to pick the wrong number and or say something too high or too low and uh, i will tell you of the calls i've gotten throughout my career from fellow coaches the number one topic has been pricing hey ed i'm working on an engagement I wanted to kick around pricing with you just to see what your reaction is, et cetera. It's never the scope of the engagement. It's never anything else other than price, because oftentimes in people's mind, it comes down to price. And I love what you had said earlier. It's not just a service, a solution you're selling. It's also yourself, right? They need to have confidence that you can deliver what it is you're delivering, whatever it is you're delivering.
1: Yeah and and you brought up an interesting point there about the pricing this goes back to money conditioning most of us have been taught to trade time for money and that's part of why it's it's so difficult for us to wrap our heads around certain concepts. And again, that goes back to conditioning. And I teach that as a part of our sales training. I actually had a client this morning that she's in a market research phase. She's one of our, our platinum level clients, meaning basically what that means is she, she is in a very long contract for us to really help her with her business and her sales skills, her scripts, all that kind of stuff. And she's in a market research phase that I'm putting her through. And in the market research phase, um, she already got interest. Like, oh man, I really want to work with you. And she's freaking out. She's like, oh my God, I don't have anything. This is just in the market research phase. And I was like, yeah, I know. I told you it happens sometimes because of the questions that we're asking. And I said, make it up, right? Make it up. (laughs) And then she goes, what do I charge? I don't even know. And I said, okay, well, let's see. You have 10 years of experience and you're going to uh, couple that with the two most expensive things you have, which is your time and your brain. It's got to be five figures or it's not worth it. And she was like, oh, my God, I never would have thought of charging that just starting off this new business. I'm like, see, but here's the thing. It's a new business, but you are not new to business.
0: Right. Right. You know, uh, I would also say in all those calls that I've gotten from people regarding pricing, I would say 95 percent of the time it's too low. Yeah, they always. We have and say, to work so, with
1: people on it all the time. Yes, always. And so 90% part, of the time. Yeah.
0: So that's maybe also part of that social conditioning that we trade. You know, We think uh, people are price sensitive, right? That they're always going to want to go for the lowest price. Like when you're quote unquote buying a car, you want to always get to the lowest price when hopefully what people are looking for is the value and outcome that you can provide them in relationship to the interaction you're having.
1: It's actually also not true. And here's a sales tip real quick. Um, you know, if someone's complaining about price, and I learned this from one of my mentors, take them up to the higher package. Most people try to downsell, take them up to the higher one, because basically, they would rather pay more money for the thing that they feel actually really solves their problem. And most people would rather pay more money. And, and, there's, and I'm not making this up. There's plenty of data. Um, there's a great book about called Influence by Robert Cialdini who talks about this very thing where he's like, if it costs more money, people will buy it more easily. But we have a mentality in our heads, and this goes back to are you sold on yourself, that because we're always looking for a sale in our own lives that we assume our market is too.
0: Yeah, so true. So true. Amanda you have been a fantastic guest. And I think we have opened up about 800 cans of worms that we could- Happens all the time. (laughs) (laughs) I wish we had more time to talk about. So maybe you'll come back at some point in the future and we could pick one of the topics and talk a little bit more about it. But thank you so much for your time today. It has been great speaking with you. If folks want to reach out and learn more about your business and uh, what you do and how you do it, how can they reach you?
1: Yeah, you can go to makemoneyyourhoney.com and there you'll see our podcast, our YouTube channel, you'll see our programs, you'll see all the things.
0: Fantastic. Well, Amanda, thanks again for joining us.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It was my pleasure.
0: And to our listeners, thank you for joining us today. And we hope you join us on our next podcast conversation as we further explore being brave at work. We also remind you to subscribe to our podcast at BeBraveAtWork.com and or download and listen to our podcast on multiple online platforms. We are everywhere. Our podcast today was sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies, whom you can reach at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at CabotRisk.com. And a reminder to check out my new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways, to take responsibility for your own success, which is available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio everywhere online. If you have something to say, yet yeah, are not saying it. If you have something to do, yet yeah, are not doing it. Now is the time to be brave at work. Have a great week.